Welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio.
What about the day you went away? You said you had to go prepare a place, and even though I've never seen your face. The sky, and I wish you didn't have to be so high. 'Cause I'm belonging on the other side, and I'm missing you. Cause somewhere behind those stars is someone. There's a place for you until I find the place you made for me. Still, I'm missing you. I dream about your promise to return, and I wake up hanging on your every word. But for now, my feet are planted here on earth, and I'm missing you. And even though they say that I'm a fool, I know you see me waiting here for you. And I pray that somehow you'll get here soon, 'cause I'm missing. Somewhere behind those stars is someone who belongs to me, and I know in my deepest heart there's a place for you. Until I find the place you made for me, still I'm missing. Longer will it be till I get to see you? Though I know you're right here with me, well, tell me when can I be there with you? 'Cause somewhere behind those stars is someone. There's a place for you until I find the place you made for me. Still, I'm missing you, Lord. I'm missing you. Almighty fortress is our God. Prevailing, for still our 
ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power great, and armed with cruel aid, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be Just as good that may be, Christ Jesus, it is He, Lord Sabbath, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle, and though this world with should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. truth abideth still, His kingdom is
This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio. The waves crash in, the tide rolls out. It's an angry sea, but there is no doubt that the lighthouse will keep shining out to warn a lonely sailor. Strikes and the wind cuts cold through the sailor's bones, through the sailor's soul, till there's nothing left that he can hold except a rolling ocean. Oh, I am ready for the storm. Yes, sir, ready I am ready for the storm. I'm ready for the storm.
Anywhere he sends me, I will go there willingly. Cause he could never ask too much of me. For so great a salvation. For grace that covers me. of all for Calvary. He could never ask too much of me. I'm forever changed and finally free. Anywhere he sends me, I will go there willingly. Cause he could never ask too much of me He could never ask 
You're listening to Songs of Praise. Saved me from sin. I owe it. 
He's always there when I need Him. Oh, He's my dearest friend. I owe it all to Him. When I feel so alone, it seems that I just can't go on. He's always there to help me bear the load. And He'll never let me down, because of Him I'm sin. I owe it all to Jesus, for He gave me peace within. He's always there when I need Him. Oh, He's my dearest friend. I owe it all to Him. Yes, I Tired eyes, cry. 
Listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise. Swing 
casting aside every sin, let us run, run, fixing our eyes on the sun, looking to him, finishing what we've begun, let us run, let us run. Mansions in the skies. I'll bid farewell to every fear and wipe my weeping eyes. And wipe my weeping eyes. And wipe my weeping eyes. I'll bid my weeping eyes should earth against my soul engage and fiery darts be hurled then I can smile at Satan's rage and face a frowning world and face a frowning world let cares like a wild deluge come and storms of sorrow fall may I but safely reach my home my God my heaven my all my God my heaven Bye. 
God's plan to save mankind. If so, better take us where our dreams will never find. Amen, 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 amen. You've been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of Thread in Australia Radio. Welcome to Threaben Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, talents, the talent removed. In the great judgment day, those who have not worked for Christ, those who have drifted along, carrying no responsibility, thinking of themselves, pleasing themselves, will be placed by the judge of all the earth with those who did evil. They receive the same condemnation. Many who profess to be Christians neglect the claims of God, and yet they do not feel that in this there is any wrong. They know that the blasphemer, the murderer, the adulterer deserves punishment. But as for them, they enjoy the services of religion. They love to hear the gospel preached, and therefore they think themselves Christian. Though they have spent their lives in caring for themselves, they will be as much surprised as was the unfaithful servant in the parable to hear the sentence, Take the talent from him. Like the Jews, they mistake the enjoyment of their blessings for the use they should make of them. Many who excuse themselves from Christian effort plead their inability for the work. But did God make them so incapable? No, never. This inability has been produced by their own inactivity and perpetuated by their deliberate choice. Already in their own characters, they are realizing the result of the sentence, take the talent from him. The continual misuse of their talents will effectually quench for them the Holy Spirit, which is the only light. The sentence, cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, sets heaven's seal to the choice which they themselves have made for eternity. Friends by the Mammon of Unrighteousness This chapter is based on Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. Christ's coming was at a time of intense worldliness. Men were subordinating the eternal to the temporal, the claims of the future to the affairs of the present. They were mistaking phantoms for realities, and realities for phantoms. They did not by faith behold the unseen world. Satan presented before them the things of this life as all attractive and all absorbing, and they gave heed to his temptations. Christ came to change this order of things. He sought to break the spell by which men were infatuated and ensnared. In his teaching, he sought to adjust the claims of heaven and earth 
to turn men's thoughts from the present to the future. From their pursuit of the things of time, he called them to make provision for eternity. There was a certain rich man, he said, which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. The rich man had left all his possessions in the hands of his servant, but the servant was unfaithful, and the master was convinced that he was being systematically robbed. He determined to retain him no longer in his service, and he called for an investigation of his accounts. How is it, he said, that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. With the prospect of discharge before him, the steward saw three paths open to his choice. He must labor, beg, or starve. And he said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig, to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write down fourscore. This unfaithful servant made others share us with him in his dishonesty. He defrauded his master to advantage them, and by accepting this advantage they placed themselves under obligation to receive him as a friend into their homes. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. The worldly man praised the sharpness of the man who had defrauded him, but the rich man's condemnation was not the commendation of God. Christ did not commend the unjust steward, but he made use of a well-known occurrence to illustrate the lesson he desired to teach. Make to yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, he said, that when it shall fail, they may receive you into the eternal tabernacles. The Saviour had been censured by the Pharisees for mingling with publicans and sinners, but his interest in them was not lessened, nor did his efforts for them cease. He saw that their employment brought them into temptation. They were surrounded by enticements to evil. The first wrong step was easy, and the descent was rapid to greater dishonesty and increased crimes. Christ was seeking by every means to win them to higher aims and nobler principles. This purpose he had in mind in the story of the unfaithful steward. There had been among the publicans just such a case as that represented in the parable, and in Christ's description they recognized their own practices. Their attention was arrested, and from the picture of their own dishonest practices, many of them learned a lesson of spiritual truth. The parable was, however, spoken directly to the disciples. To them first the leaven of truth was imparted, and through them it was to reach others. Much of Christ's teaching the disciples did not at first understand, and often his lessons seemed to be almost forgotten. But under the influence of the Holy Spirit, these truths were afterward revived with distinctness, and through the disciples they were brought vividly before the new converts who were added to the church. And the Saviour was speaking also to the Pharisees. 
he did not relinquish the hope that they would perceive the force of his words. Many had been deeply convicted, and as they should hear the truth under the dictation of the Holy Spirit, not a few would become believers in Christ. The Pharisees had tried to bring Christ into disrepute by accusing him of mingling with publicans and sinners. Now he turns the rebuke on these accusers. The scene known to have taken place among the publicans, he holds up before the Pharisees, both as representing their course of action and as showing the only way in which they can redeem their errors. To the unfaithful steward, his Lord's goods had been entrusted for benevolent purposes, but he had used them for himself. So with Israel. God had chosen the seed of Abraham. With a high arm he had delivered them from bondage in Egypt. He had made them the depositories of sacred truth for the blessing of the world. He had entrusted to them the living oracles, that they might communicate the light to others. But his stewards had used these gifts to enrich and exalt themselves. The Pharisees, filled with self-importance and self-righteousness, were misapplying the goods lent them by God to use for his glory. The servant in the parable had made no provision for the future. The goods entrusted to him for the benefit of others he had used for himself, but he had thought only of the present. When the stewardship should be taken from him, he would have nothing to call his own. But his master's goods were still in his hands, and he determined to use them so as to secure himself against future want. To accomplish this, he must work on a new plan. Instead of gathering for himself, he must impart to others. Thus he might secure friends who, when he should be cast out, would receive him. So with the Pharisees. The stewardship was soon to be taken from them, and they were called upon to provide for the future. Only by seeking the good of others could they benefit themselves. Only by imparting God's gifts in the present life could they provide for eternity. And relating the parable, Christ said, The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. That is, Worldly wise men display more wisdom and earnestness in serving themselves than do the professed children of God in their service to Him. So it was in Christ's day. So it is now. Look at the life of many who claim to be Christians. The Lord has endowed them with capabilities and power and influence. He has entrusted them with money that they may be co-workers with Him in the great redemption. All His gifts are to be used in blessing humanity in relieving the suffering and the needy. We are to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to care for the widow and the fatherless, to minister to the distressed and downtrodden. God never meant that the widespread misery in the world should exist. He never meant that one man should have an abundance of the luxuries of life, while the children of others should cry for bread. The means over and above the actual necessities of life are entrusted to man to do good, to bless humanity. The Lord says, Sell that ye have, and give alms. Luke 12, verse 33. Be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. When thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Luke 14, verse 13. Loose the bands of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke, deal thy bread to the hungry, 
bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. When thou seest the naked, cover him. Satisfy the afflicted soul. Isaiah 58, verses 6, 7, and 10. Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, verse 15. These are the Lord's commands. Are the great body of professed Christians doing this work? Alas, how many are appropriating to themselves the gifts of God? How many are adding house to house and land to land? How many are spending their money for pleasure, for the gratification of appetite, for extravagant houses, furniture and dress? Their fellow beings are left to misery and crime, to disease and death. Multitudes are perishing without one pitying look, one word or deed of sympathy. Men are guilty of robbery toward God. Their selfish use of means robs the Lord of the glory that should be reflected back to Him in the relief of suffering humanity and the salvation of souls. They are embezzling His entrusted goods. The Lord declares, I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. Malachi 3, verses 5, 8, and 9. Go to now, ye rich men. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth, and been wanton. Behold, the hire of the labourers, who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. James 5, verses 1 to 3, verse 5 and verse 4. Everyone will be required to render up his entrusted gifts. In the day of final judgment, men's hoarded wealth will be worthless to them. They have nothing they can call their own. Those who spend their lives in laying up worldly treasures show less wisdom, less thought and care for their eternal well-being than did the unjust steward for his earthly support. Less wise than the children of this world and their generation are these professed children of the light. These are they of whom the prophet declared in his vision of the great judgment day, A man shall cast the idols of his silver and the idols of his gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks, for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty, when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. Isaiah 2, verses 20 and 21. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. Enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. Register, the French word for resist, 
is scratched into the rim of a refuse hole in the Tower of Constance. Tradition ascribes the etching of this slogan to Marie Durand, the most famous prisoner at the time that the slogan appeared. Marie's brother was a Huguenot pastor, and he held worship services in his home. And for this reason, she was snatched from her home as a recently married teenager and thrown into prison in the year 1730. Marie's brother Pierre was killed by gunshots soon after, but her life would turn out very different. She was held behind a large door inscribed with the words, all hope abandoned, ye who enter here, in a large circular stone prison. There was a six foot circular hole in the ceiling that let in precious little light and air, as well as snow and rain, depending on the season. Food came in via a similar hole in the floor, cold, wet, humid, and damp. The women suffered here for nearly 40 years in misery, infection, and tears. Marie was only young when she was taken a prisoner, but because of her education, she became a leader and was able to act as an agent for the women. For 38 years until 1768, she led them in singing and prayer through the heat of the summer and the cold of the winter. Marie was always trying to better their condition, tirelessly petitioning until she was finally able to get every woman granted the Book of Psalms. Though unjustly imprisoned, Marie sought to make the best of her situation and that of the other women she was sentenced to live with. There was another woman whose story is perhaps sadder than Marie's, a young girl at the age of eight imprisoned for 40 years because her mother took her to a Protestant church service. Such cruel punishments are not of God. To take away someone's liberty because you disagree with their beliefs is not Christian or representative of Jesus. One can only imagine the despair and hopelessness that these women suffered right here in this room as year after year, decade after decade, they lived in such pitiful conditions with no hope of release. The women were eventually released. Marie was an old woman, having spent her best years in prison. Her family home here in the mountains became a Huguenot monument, a testimony to religious steadfastness in the face of unjust ecclesiastical and royal oppression. Marie was just an ordinary woman. She did not write a thesis on theology, nor did she preach any sermons. She did not willingly seek out trouble, nor did she stand before councils to defend her faith as many others we have talked about did. She was unjustly imprisoned, yet remained steadfast, preserving her faith in the face of terrible injustice and oppression.
I find her story moving and inspiring. We never know when in the course of the normal affairs of life, we might be called upon to exercise a faith that we don't think we have and show courage to those around us. The song says, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their winds of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? The answer lies in the chorus. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. We often sing this song when things in life are going so smoothly. But if and when the waves come, may our anchor hold. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.